welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 4, 1 Nephi 11-15 through 15, Armed with the Righteousness and with the Power of God Part 2 with Isaiah Scholar Dr. Abraham Giliotti Welcome to the podcast for this week. We are excited about uh, sharing some information that's going to be coming again. We are expecting that everybody has already read their manuals and, uh, and have looked at that information. We want to go into further depth and, and detail. There, there, there are people who are along the path who are trying to get to the tree of life. Right. But then it says later on, there were other multitudes that started and, and they didn't even attempt the tree of life. They were actually focused on getting to the great and spacious building. That was their whole focus was to, we got to get to the building. It seems like more of an end time scenario. Yes. Yeah, later. Yes. It's futuristic. And, and, yeah. and that's what we're going to see in, in later chapters because, in, in, like, like we been, have been saying a couple times now, chapter 11 is about Christ and his life and his coming. Chapter 12 is an interesting thing because it's basically all about um, how this, this, this plays out in, in Nephi's period of time right so the present as as, as, it, as it is appearing to nephi past present future and then the future is the 13 and 14 basically chapters 13 and 14 are talking yes. about the future and <clears throat> how this how the same scenario plays out again yes over and over past present future which is by definition truth yes well actually that's kind of a lead-in to the whole book of mormon because because it's written for our day that exactly. using his, his historical things out of there time uh, as an allegory because it says six times in the Book of Mormon less than a hundredth part of what they could have written they only wrote less than a hundredth and you have to ask well what criteria did, did you they use for excluding so much and including the small part yeah. Isaiah's criteria knowing that what would most typify the end time that's what they included and so yeah. it's this vision of the tree of life is we've got to apply it to ourselves not just to Lehi's time exactly it's, it's, it's happening today so we actually have a kind of a, a, a two a two edged sword here, or not two edged sword, but we have two different things because we have the Isaiah end time understandings. Yes, but then also we have Moroni, who, who or excuse me, Mormon, who said that he was that Jesus Christ has shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. That's Moroni so, in the Book of Mormon. In the, yeah, Moroni in the Book of Mormon, and and uh, and basically says I I. I've been shown yes. your day, and he's yes. and Mormon's the one doing the abridgment. Yes. So he's pulling specific things out of their history that they know they're gonna that we need for yes. our day. Yes, and I love that understanding that 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 every single thing that's in this Book of Mormon is about us, and if we study this that's with right. real intent, we can really <laughs> know a lot about what's going to happen in the future. But that's why I have you as the expert about the coming. <laughs> it's a good book Based on Isaiah. It's a great book. It's, it is there's awesome. nothing like it. Yes. Prophet Joseph did wonderful. Oh, I was just looking at First Nephi 12 there, back about the filthy water and oh yeah, the depths of hell, hell the mists of darkness, the temptations of the devil. Well, we have those today, of course, which blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men, and lead them into broad roads. So they may, not, they, they may not be a Babylon category necessarily, but they're certainly a telestial category. Mm -hmm. They perish and are lost. <clears throat> they don't even have salvation, not to mention exaltation. 
In the largest spacious building which I thought saw the vain, is the vain imagination of the pride of the children of men, and the great and terrible gulf divideth them. Even the word of the justice of the eternal God and the Messiah, who is the Lamb of God, for whom the Holy Ghost beareth record, from the beginning of the world until this time, and from this, this time henceforth and forever. That paradigm is always in existence, mm-hmm. and we're living it. We fit somewhere in this scheme, right? <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, as we as we go through, you know, some of these things, like for example, the great and spacious building. Um, in chapter eleven, where it's talking about um, Christ's life, you know, the great and spacious building could be, you know, kind of alluded to, basically, like the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth. That they, they were the great and spacious building. They were mocking Christ and and so forth, right? Yeah. But then, when you move into into chapter twelve. The great and spacious building could be uh, basically the Lamanites and those who were, because um, it's talking about Nephi and his, the current times of the Nephites. Yes. So this would be possibly the, you know, the, uh, the wicked um, of the Nephites, the dissenters of the Nephites, and also the Lamanites who are causing the Nephites basically to go off the path. But in the latter days, it talks about the great and spacious building and it talks about it being a, a great and an abominable church. And uh, people have alluded to different ideas about what church that might be, but which, actually, what do you think that means, a great and well, abominable Nephi church? Nephi describes it as a whore, and, and, and he, it's the equivalent of the, of the harlot Babylon in the book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So it's all the same Babylon category in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Nephi couldn't call it Babylon because Babylon was still the ruling power of his day in the world. Mm-hmm. Babylon conquered the world and destroyed the Jews, Jewish there. Yeah. So he had to call it by something else. The great abominable church or the church of the devil or the whore. And, and basically when it comes down to, I mean, this is, we don't want to get too graphic or anything, but basically when somebody says the whore of all the earth, yeah. one, one of the most precious things that God has given to human beings is the ability to create life. Yes. And when you basically trade something that that's sacred and that's special, for something that's basically of you know, monetary compensation or that kind of thing, yeah. that that's that's the reason why whoredoms <clears throat> are such a, a, a an awful thing to the Lord, because you are basically messing with some of the greatest blessings, and then you are you're 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 but, but that, trading those for but that whore is set in opposition. It's like in the Book of Isaiah, you have you have the harlot of Babylon, you have the virgin Zion, who gives birth to the male child in the end time, mm-hmm. and and here you have the Virgin Mary, in juxtaposition with the, I like great and abominable. I think I think it's good to focus on the negative things, but we need to figure out what's going on with the Tree of Life and and why the Virgin Mary and and there's way more to it because of the female symbol. It's not yeah. just about her herself, but it's also what she represents and what she symbolizes, yes. and how she gives birth to the Savior of the world, and how a woman a woman creates a Savior husband gives birth almost spiritually to a safer husband when she empowers him. Without, without her, he's nothing. Without her, he's not a king. He doesn't have any... Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know what I'm saying? A, a kingdom of one is not much of a kingdom. No, so you need, <laughs> you need to figure out what all of this symbology of the Tree of Life and the Virgin Mary and, and the, the woman symbol and, is all about. And, and we need to get a hold of that and figure it out. And President Nelson has given the women of the church a mandate to do that. To do that. 
and it's in Isaiah, but you really, nobody can tell you you have to, when you hold on to the rod of iron, you have to learn it from the Word of God. First of all, the written Word, right? Yes. And then, as it says in 2 Nephi 30, 30 32, feast upon the words of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And then, because they will tell you all things that you should do, and then, and then, follow the words of the Holy Spirit or feast upon the words of the Spirit and they will tell you what you should do and then ultimately Christ himself um, you have to do what he tells you to do so there's going up the ladder spiritually there from three different stages and I think the people who follow the whole journey to the tree of life will ultimately be given personal revelation to follow and not just from a book or something you know. Th those things need to be in place then ultimately it's a personal journey with Christ. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, you're not going to get there. Why, why do you think that they have to have this progression? You know, why, why can't you just go from one and then just go right to getting your, your, getting your marching <laughs> instructions straight from Christ? You know? Yeah, well, that's what many people would like. That, <laughs> shortcut that whole thing. thing there yeah. are no shortcuts. But there is no shortcut. No. You yeah. have to follow the whole process. And you have to get into the deeper and true points of his doctrine. See, I feel like that one of the reasons for that process is because we have to learn to more and more rely on the Lord. Yes, and and it takes time to 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 gain that that confidence and that yes. the, the ability to rely on the Lord and say, you know what, this this is what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Do I go with that? Do I not go with that? Do I follow the Spirit? And when you learn to follow the Spirit on an ongoing basis, then you become more and more able to... It's kind of like a radio station. You know, we've got radio stations all over here. And those, 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 those radio waves are coming in all over the place, but we don't hear anything because we're not tuned to that. But once we tune a radio into that particular frequency, all of a sudden it comes in loud and clear and we can get the, uh, the information that is coming across those waves. But we have to tune our bodies. We have to tune our minds. We have to tune our spirits into being able to <clears throat> to get to that point where we can actually receive that revelation from the from the Holy Spirit, basically, and then ultimately take our marching orders from Christ. As I, th I think, I I'm glad you mentioned bodies because so many of us are abusing our bodies with junk food and things, and the Holy Spirit can't dwell in filthy temples, and we are what we eat. So, yeah. There's another level of <laughs> sanctification we need to process. There's all kinds of different things that we need to And, and sometimes there, we yeah. make mistakes and we have to figure out what the mistake was and we don't know always at the, at the time. We have to learn to get it right. We're all works in progress. And yeah, exactly. Working toward that goal. I, I was going to mention about the Great and Abominable Church um, because a lot, there have been mistakenly people have said, well, that's got to be the Catholic <clears throat> Church or whatever. Uh, this, this is what Elder Bruce R. McConkie said. He says the churches, the, the, the titles Church of the Devil and Great and Abominable Church are used to identify all churches or organizations or whatever name or nature, whether political, philosophical, educational, economic, social, fraternal, civic, or religious, which are designed to take men on a course that leads away from God and his laws and thus from salvation in the kingdom of God. So anything that leads you away from God is part of the great and abominable church. Well, there are only two churches, right? <clears throat> First Nephi. 14. Church of the Lamb of God. Yes, the Church of the Devil and the Church of the Lamb of God. Yeah. That's also in Isaiah, you have either Babylon or Zion. But through three series of literary 
features that those are devices I say show is that whatever is not Zion is Babylon, and whatever is, is you know, mm-hmm. and 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 in the end time scenarios in the Book of Mormon, using Isaiah as a basis, many many actually among us end up fighting against Zion and joining the Great Babylonian Church. It's writ, it's written in there, it's hidden in there, but. Um, Hopefully not so many of and us will, but... Isn't it interesting how uh, usually when, when there's an apostasy that's going on, there's not that many people who make it through. Yes. You look at <clears throat> Adam's posterity, right. and you have eight people on the ark. Yes. You have Abraham and his posterity, and they get the, the promised land, and they all get taken down except for Lehi and his family. So there's just this, this handful of people in comparison with the total masses are, are the only ones that end up getting saved. Uh, same thing happens here with the saints and so forth, you know, and, and uh, what's have, going on here. You have here. that with Isaiah too, <clears throat> and that the book of Isaiah starts off with Israel as a national entity. Mm-hmm. It's a people, collective, and then they're exiled into the world at large because of their apostasies, and they become a universal entity. And then in the end time, individuals, they become individuals uh, who return from exile, become a Zion people, and they become the new collective, the new nation. But they're a universal entity, but it's made up of individuals. Meaning that it's, it's always a personal journey. Some will be like Abraham and come from the ends of the earth to Zion, and others just stay out there. Like Enoch, who established Zion among converts from seven different nation, nations who were in a state of bon, abominations. And out of them he brought a people of God, but they were all individuals. And many of them, sure, had families and had stayed behind and friends and mocked them and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they had enemies, and those enemies were their former friends and associates. Yeah. And, and he took them through a series of steps, and then they became a Zion people. So it's individuals. It's so, and that's why it becomes a personal journey. We heeded them not. That, that <clears throat> watch call, you know, is, it tells you right there that... Well, how can we play that in our own time today? I that mean, has you know, to be stronger than your relationship with Christ has to be stronger than anything else. Yeah. Anything. So who are, I mean, again, this, this could run into speculation and that kind of things, but who are, who are what do you think are some of the, some of the uh, organizations or, uh, you know, and, and, and these things talk about political, philosophical, educational, economic, fraternal, and so forth. Yeah. Um, these are all people who apparently are part of the great and spacious building. Yes. And they are mocking the the humble followers of Christ who are partaking of the fruit. Yes. So, would, you, would you want to speculate so about in, who some of those uh, <clears throat> groups are today? So, well, <laughs> well, in Isaiah, it, it is it is the the tyrants of the world. It's the institutions of the world and political and ecclesiastical. Um, there's a whole list that, I've, that is in my book, The Literary Message of Isaiah. All those entities that constitute Babylon, constitute the um, Babylon, are, are listed there. And but they're all outside of the church, correct? They're all outside the church, yes. So there's, so there's none of them that are... That but, are... but the Church of the Lamb of God, you also have to be careful how you define that. Uh-huh. Um, the Church of the Lamb of God, to me, is the Church of the Firstborn. It's not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It says the power of God came down upon when the when the harlot threatened God's covenant people, us. But saints means sanctified ones, right? Mm-hmm. And that means just because you are called a Latter-day Saint doesn't mean you are a saint. 
<laughs> You're hoping to become one. Yeah, right saint wannabe or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you, the idea is to become a saint, to become perfectly sanctified. Then, you be, then you're part of the Church of the Lamb of God. Yeah. And that's why the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is geared toward us attaining that spiritual level. I wonder if that has anything to do with why uh, President Nelson has, uh, has, has done some interesting things that, we, that I think people were not really expecting. Like, for example, right. the shortening of the three-hour block to a two-hour block. Yes. I see that we instead need to spend more time on our own studying. Yes. Um, it seems to me that, uh, and, and based on how, how President Nelson is kind of pulling back on a lot of the different kind of church sponsored right. things that are going on there. Yes. Seems to me that it looks like to me that the Lord and his prophet right. need to have a people who can basically um, be guided by this Holy Spirit well, and be able to, to and be, be able to discern truth from yeah. error. Yes. And be able to, to walk that. away from those things <clears throat> that are coming from the great and spacious building and ignore them. Yes. Well, the times are going to be such as that if it were possible, the elect would be deceived. But that tells you in itself that it's not possible to deceive the elect or they would not be the elect. But there'll be so much falsehood out there and so many false voices and things mm -hmm. that it would be really difficult. Um, yeah, they said that people will not know where to find the truth. They don't even know where to look for it. I'm the Gospel Doctrine in my Squim Dungeness ward, and people are very open to... to to the kind of things that I find in the scriptures and analyze with them. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm telling you, that's not nearly enough for what they're going to need to get there, to the tree of life. They need to figure it out themselves, as President Nelson is telling us mm -hmm. to go and do. So uh, in, other word, in other words, just following what the... Uh, what the if, you, if you just go along and just do the basic things at the church... Yeah has you do, yeah. you'll get to a certain point. Right. But you're saying that's not going to be enough. It's not enough. And the Prophet Joe has said that in, in and, the, uh, in the uh, lectures on faith. And so it's almost every other prophet in this dispensation. That the church can take you... So to, far. So far. Mm -hmm. but, but, but what about these people then, and this is going to be a little bit of a... People who say, well, you know, uh, I love the church, but I don't go to church anymore because I've, I've, I've gone beyond what the church can take me. Oh, be careful there. <laughs> because, that's so, because that tells so you, wrong. It tells you right there that they could be coming to pride. And if, they, right. if they were beyond, then they would be ministering to people in the church yeah. uh, and trying to lift them to their level. But it sounds like a prideful le level rather than a real level. <laughs> that's right. You know? That's right. So I think if, 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 you, if you have heard of someone who says, you know, yeah. I've, I've moved beyond the church. I've actually yeah. heard that from different people before. Yes, me too. And um, I don't buy it. No, you can't buy it. <clears throat> because, because if you are truly converted, then instead of looking inward at the deal, you know, this is all about me, yes. you're going to work, move outward. And, and, and what better place yes. than the church Absolutely. to utilize the church's capabilities and <clears throat> being able yes. to bring people together and then yes. you help them. Absolutely. Help them become yeah. what you have learned. Yeah. Which is really kind of the reason why we have teachers and gospel doctrine teachers and why we're even doing these podcasts right now because our hope is is that when we have had an opportunity and god has given us enough years on this earth and we've had enough opportunities to rub shoulders with great individuals like yourself that, that, that we turn to learn you, these things and then we can share with others that part out. <laughs> <laughs> 
not cutting that part out. <laughs> I love you, brother. You're awesome. It, I don't even know. That's the first when, edition. When was this? This is a long time ago. That was, it's a, a Isaiah decoded right here. The literary evidence uncovers hidden prophecies about our time. And uh, do you remember, what, what do you remember about when you did this? Do you, do you uh, remember how many years it took to do this? This is clear back from 2002. It took about five years to write that one, but it's based on my literary discoveries in other books and like the literary message of Isaiah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I, and I have, I have all your books, I think. Maybe not all of them, but I have most of them. But this is this one is the late Mike, the latest. Well, it's not the very latest one, but it's one of the latest right. ones. It's called End Time Prophecy, a Judeo Mormon Analysis. Yes. Uh, would you like to tell us just a little bit about this book? Um, it's addressed to both Jews and Christians and LDS, and takes all of them to task. It, <laughs> it doesn't really pull any punches. No, it does not. <laughs> uh, it's because, pretty straightforward. Because I analyze what the scriptures actually say, not what we think they say. And, and not what we want to and, ignore. And gives us the Lord's definition of, of righteousness and silver instead of our own self, self-righteousness, you know, and, and goes through and exposing precepts of men that we, that things in the church that we believe, that, that we believe this gospel, that, that's not there in the scriptures. Yeah. And there, there's, but then I also show what the scriptures actually say mm-hmm. and, and, how it co- and how that coheres with what it says over here and over here. Well, eventually, it's as clear as day, and anybody can come to it, but we just haven't done it because people have not taken the pains to do it. And Isaiah, for example, has been this big mental block that people have had. Oh, you can't touch it. Let's skip these pages. <laughs> no, um, Isaiah is... I have, to, I have to be honest with you. you know, for, for many years, yeah. growing up, when I get to the Isaiah chapters, I just skip over to the next thing. <laughs> Got to get to the Isaiah chapters. I hope none of you out there are doing that this year. This this is the year. This is not the year to do that. To, to jump into the middle of the Isaiah prophecies and the Isaiah passages and, and, and come to a deep understanding of this. But really, Rod, you, you really have to understand Isaiah's and have, apply the literary tools, a little these simple tools first and understand Isaiah from from its own context and then take it to the Book of Mormon. And then you understand what it says. But the King James is also a real obstacle. Because, for example, one of the key words in Isaiah is the word ness. It means ness in Hebrew. It means ensign. But the King James translates it ensign, standard, and banner. Three different ways. And and it's it's not correct. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's um, it's (laughs) 1611. It throws things off. Yes. You really need to... Like the Book of Mormon would never do that. The Book of Mormon is always correct in its in its definitions of terms and mm-hmm. translating the same way each time. Yeah. By the way, that's one that's one of the interesting things also about uh, when we were doing the, uh, the the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, right? Uh, to be able to help people to know when there's a difference between the King James version, yes, and the and the then the version directly, you know translated by Joseph Smith from the gold plates yes. using the Urim and Thummim and the power of God. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Uh, so what we do is when, <clears throat> when there's a, a phrase and that's different, yes. we actually have it underlined. Yes. So you can actually see immediately if this is different than the King James Version. And what you'll find is, is that if you go back to the original Greek and you do a modern day translation, that actually Joseph Smith's translation is more accurate well, than, the, than the King James Version well, is. Well, my experience with the Hebrew translation of the Book of Mormon that back in, was done in the 80s. Yeah. Um, we had to deal with that. And what I, what I found was um, the, the difference in the Isaiah, 
well, it all about, it's all about translation. How did Joseph Smith actually translate? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what Joseph did was he read it in the Urim and Thummim. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, he recited it aloud, and the scribe wrote down mm-hmm. what he had recited from what he read, and then a new line would appear. So what we found with the Isaiah passages, which is basically the King James version of Isaiah, and the rest of the Book of Mormon is very much in the King James style, right. Right. Um, is that sometimes in the Isaiah passages, it wasn't necessarily going back to the original of Isaiah, but it was... It was more like, um, for some reason, um, making the King James Isaiah more easily understood and filling in some kind of thing to make it more easily understood, working back from the King James translation, not from the original Hebrew. And and I can prove that. I can show that because there's some things. Now, then the question arises, well, why didn't he translate it directly from the the Hebrew into English? And the answer... My answer is that uh, that the King James was the extent translation of the day, and it would have mm-hmm. caused more problems uh, and turned readers away from the Book of Mormon, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. How, 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 would, how would other readers of, the, of their time yeah. take the Book of Mormon if he had <clears throat> passages that looked a lot like and were yeah. very similar to, yeah. but were different than the King James Version? Yes, everybody adored Then everybody would be up in arms like, they, oh! They, they adore yeah. the King James. Exactly. So Brigham Young said, if any of... Somebody could translate the Bible better than the King James translation. He was under obligation to do so. So I, trans- <laughs> so I did translate Isaiah into modern English. <laughs> I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I felt that was the first thing that needed to, to happen for people to properly understand Isaiah in a modern English translation that's still true, true, to, the, true to the Hebrew as much as possible. Uh-huh. And so I compared the Dead Sea Scroll of Isaiah and I compared Joseph Smith's translation and the Septuagint version, and everything's footnoted in that in my translation. And that's in which that's in that's on IsaiahInstitute.com and IsaiahExplained.com. Um, yeah, and and it's available. There's it's, some it's, additional additional reference material if you like to go in, in, into a deeper dive on the Isaiah information. There's definitely. A couple of things. So t- t- say that again, real quick. Isaiah Institute or IsaiahExplained.com. The beauty of Isaiah is that once you get a handle on Isaiah, and all the scriptures open up. And until you understand Isaiah, that does not happen. I tell you, it does not happen. Well, one of the things I found was interesting when I first started to uh, to come to your lectures and so forth, and most of them are like in libraries and things like that. Right, exactly. Is, the, um, is coming to an understanding of, of you know, what what exactly does Babylon mean? Yeah. What does Assyria? Yeah. You know, how, how does the Lord use these different... Um, you know yeah. groups and so forth, and, right. and 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 how do you define them, and how do you how do you recognize those things? Because once you start to see this, and when you start to understand the codes, yeah. then as you see these things unfolding, you can actually see it happening right before your merry eyes. So, so the rabbi in, in my rabbinic school in in Jerusalem said that Isaiah can be understood on two levels: one relating to his day, and one to the end time. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, well, it's a tradition among us, but we don't have the I don't have the proof. We don't have the proof. But I found the proof in my doctoral dissertation, I, and then I did 10 years of postdoctoral work beyond that, and I wrote the book, The Literary Message of Isaiah. <clears throat> I found mm-hmm. the proof that you can superimpose the whole book of Isaiah on the end time as an on, end time scenario, not, not the time of Joseph Smith, an end time scenario that is, is, happens immediately before the coming, second coming of Christ. And it's basically the end of the world, or the end, mm-hmm. you know. And Isaiah was commanded by the Lord to write his book for the end time, for the end of the world. So having that proof then shows that, like you said, 
then those ancient names become code names for end time world powers and end time people. And uh, like the great superpower of Isaiah's day was Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. So when you read about Egypt in the book of Isaiah, you can apply that to America, which is the great superpower of today. Of today. Of today, yeah. And it's like a carbon copy. And then, uh, because so these Isaiah... Are so you're talking about this is a parallel history, essentially. A, yes, history repeating itself. Yeah. In a very much shorter time, very end time scenario is about seven years. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And then the great militaristic power from, from Assyria that conquered the world in Isaiah's day by military force, you know, we have a power from the north today that has that capacity to do that. And it was an alliance of nations, Assyria. So we can already see these things shaping up in the world today. And then you have, those, those are two political powers, and you have Zion and Babylon, two spiritual forces in the world. Mm -hmm. Two spiritual entities, and yeah, Isaiah is is pretty amazing. But <laughs> the tree of life, that is a beautiful, 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 metaphor. beautiful metaphor. Yeah, and we should take notice because it's written for our day. And, and if we don't end up on the tree of life, then take partaking of the fruit, then it doesn't look very good, does it? <laughs> You wander off into strange places in the dark and dreary wilderness, and yeah, uh, we Ephraimites have been given so much. Yeah, uh, and if we don't, if we don't embrace that, you know, and then and, and and if we're still in the condemnation for tr treating lightly the things that we've been given, then we're out. He's gonna he's gonna empower other people to do it. And fortunately, you know, there are kings and queens of the Gentiles, spiritual mm -hmm. kings and queens of the Gentiles, who minister to the house of Israel, and the house of Israel being the Jews, the ten tribes, and Lamanites of today, that these spiritual kings and queens minister to them and, and bring them back and restore them to God's covenant in the end time and establish Zion among them and then the mm -hmm. Lord can come to that Zion. And, and Zion is never established among us, Ephraimite Gentiles. It's established among the house of Israel, but we help them like Enoch to establish Zion. Re read it. It's in, the, it's, in, it's in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> it says it. It's right there. Everything I just said is in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Which is probably the reason why that uh, Joseph Smith said it was the uh, the most corrective of, of of any book, not because it's the most perfect or the most perfectly created right. or whatever, yes. but it, but there are less untruths in it yes. than any other book. Absolutely, I don't think there are any untruths in the book. I, I've analyzed it from backwards and forwards, and gone through the Hebrew translation and discovered so many things. There's not a single thing that I can point to and say. These are the mistakes of men. There might be, and I've missed them, but I haven't found any. Who <laughs> <laughs> didn't dismiss the Book of Mormon? That's crazy. How can you dismiss this amazing book? Yeah. You know, like President Nelson said, it was, it was translated in 80, in 80 days. You know? Yeah, it's and just it's unbelievable so, how quickly that it's happened. It's such yeah. a sophisticated book. It blows me away. Yeah. yeah. You can consider the, just how, the, the compounding situations with the different writers, yes. and then the different abridgments, yes. and then the different, you know, how, how, they, how, how each writer's, you know, even yes. though there's abridgments, you can tell there's different people they were bridging from. And then the whole loss of the 116 pages and the, you know, the, the loss of the, the, yes. of the, uh, the book of Lehi, right. <laughs> you know? So when you, I mean, the, the complexity of this book is, is unlike any novel. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and it takes years for somebody to write a single novel. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 then, and then they don't have to try to make it into a historically accurate thing. Right. And they don't have to have any evidence no, for a novel. No, there's no use going there. You don't have to show that, you, that, you, that there are things were known in this particular book mm -hmm. that could not have possibly been known. Right. Like, for example, Lehigh's Ocean Voyage and the route yes. that they went to and, yeah. and, and all these kinds of things. I mean, Amazing. it's just, it's, it's, it's really just astounding. Benson used to say that, um, that the Lord's coming to the Nephites in the Book of Mormon is a type and shadow of his second coming as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I found, um, I found uh, eight to ten or more exoduses in the Book of Mormon, beginning with Lehi's exodus out of Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and then Nephi's exodus from the land of first inheritance. Alma the Elder. To the land of Nephi. <laughs> yeah, Alma the Elder from the, to the wa from the waters of Mormon to the land of to Elam. Helam. Mm -hmm. From the land of Helam down to Zarahemla, the yeah. Antony Falihai's at the Jeremiah's Exodus. <laughs> but if you put all these Exoduses side by side, they have common elements. Yeah. And that is an Exodus, I call it an Exodus pattern. And that Exodus pattern is the Exodus, the end time Exodus that Isaiah predicts in the book of Isaiah. And where the Jews, the ten tribes, and the Lamanites come out in a latter day Exodus to mm -hmm. Zion, to the old and new Jerusalems. That's right. Those, those are the two covenant gathering places for the house of Israel. Yes. Always have been. Yes. We started from the Garden of Eden and, yes. and so forth, and then right. and we'll end up these two places. Interestingly enough, though, um, I don't know if you are aware of this, but uh, the Pew Research uh, um, Group, about four or five years ago, they did a study of where Jews, now this is specifically Jews from Judah, right. but where in the world are Jews located? And it turns out that they, they, they have come up, they, uh, their understanding is, is that uh, 90, I think it was 93% of all Jews worldwide live in one of two nations. Israel. New and York. This, the, and, and the nation of New York. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but these two nations, so I, I mean, I know some people are saying, well, you know, the Lord can't come yet because the Jews aren't gathered yet and so forth. Yeah. Well, a lot of the Jews don't know that the, uh, there's a second gathering place, and it's the New Jerusalem. They think it's all going to be in Old Jerusalem, and, they, and they're not gathered there. Well, the but right now, they're pretty, pretty much Jews are all gathered to the two covenant gathering well, places. Well, 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 wait, wait a minute. <laughs> there was an actual literal physical exodus, and, and, and we helped them come in this exodus, as kings and queens of the Gentiles yeah. of Ephraim. We helped them to gather to these, in these exoduses. And that's in... We, 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 if we don't measure up to become what also appears in the book of Revelation as the 144,000 servants of God who, who go out and minister to these people and bring them back in, in this exodus. If we don't measure up and do that, it doesn't look very good for us. Yeah, you know? yeah for sure. The book of Mormon is such so many. I was going to say that I also found in the second half of Alma there are four to five wars that all follow the same pattern. They have common, ele common elements. And that is the great Assyrian war that appears in the book of Isaiah that Nephi includes in his copying of the writings of Isaiah and 2 Nephi. Mm -hmm. Chapters 2 through 14 talks about the Assyrian wars there. So, so this is all coming down the pike for us very shortly. I, I can see the world right now shaping up, ready for executing this end time scenario that Isaiah and the Book of Mormon are talking about. And that's what I'm going to talk about at your conference. Well, but, which, by the way, I, I should probably bring this up, and that is that uh, um, if, 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 you're, if you're enjoying some of, the, some of this uh, um, deep dive into this Isaiah information uh, with, uh, with my friend Abraham here, um, you can also go to not only to, to your websites, but also we have the new uh, Book of Mormon Evidence streaming video service, which is 
the uh, many of these of these talks that have already been given that have been recorded, yeah. and for the first time we're actually making those all available, so people can actually go and access uh, a number of your your previous talks. So if yeah. you if you want to to uh, learn more about Isaiah and uh, and listen to uh, you know some of the uh, material there from from my dear from brother. You know, Gileadi, then uh, then you can go there as another another area to get more researchers. The Isaiah Institute is also having this um, lecture, Nephi interprets the words of Isaiah, finding hidden treasures of knowledge in Scripture, and that's on uh, March 28th at 7 p.m. at Corner Canyon High School in Draper. Yeah, and tickets are available there on IsaiahInstitute.com. Yeah, this is this is going to be. Uh, um, this year is going to be a big year for people in the Book of Mormon. It's that I, I, I mentioned it before in a previous uh, podcast that um, that it's interesting that the Book of Mormon study of the Church always happens on an election year. Yes, it does. A, a presidential election year in the United States, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's a coincidence. No, and, and I'm very uh, I'm very apprehensive of what's going to happen this election year. Mm -hmm. There's some other Book of Mormon. Scenario is out of the Book of Helaman, for example, aren't going to fulfill themselves in this country before very long. Yes, in fact, so, yeah. in fact, that's one of the I, I have a DVD that I did actually, basically taking the the, the words of President Hinckley. This is in, in a talk that he gave about the power of the Book of Mormon. He said that the Book of Mormon is as current as the Daily News, yes. but more uh, more. Um, uh, it was, it, it, but it's even better, mm -hmm. and, and in taking him at his word, you know, yes. putting an exclamation point instead of a question mark behind right. his word, that how can, is it possible the two thousand year old book could be more current than the Daily News, which we get on our phones here yeah. in thirty seconds if anything happens around the world, we know about yeah. it. Yeah. How can it be more current than that? And I realized the reason why it is more current than that, this book, the Book of Mormon, is more current than the daily news, yes, it is. is because the news can only tell you what has happened. Mm -hmm. The Book of Mormon will tell you what's going to happen. Yes. And Just when you understand. The Book of Mormon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> reads the Book of Mormon by well, 2,700 years. Yes. Yeah. And so, so when you understand in Helaman, and I'll just kind of give you a couple of quick things. So um, in, in Helaman, it talks about, for example, um, what was going on in their culture and their civilization. And right before Christ comes, he says that the Gadianton robbers had taken control oh, of the God. judgment seats. Yes. Um, they said that the, that the wicked and the guilty go unpunished because of their money. Yes. That those who go into power do so that they might get more, more power and gain, that they might yes. the more easily commit adultery and steal and kill and, and so forth. Yeah. They said that they were, they, were trying to, they were trying to overthrow the governor of the land. Yes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That will happen. <laughs> so, will happen again. And... and all those things, and then it says, and it says, all those things happen in the space of not many years. Yes. Well, what I did is I actually took um, phrases from Helaman and the, the beginning of Third Nephi. Yes. Put them into a Google search. Yes. And then had, and then, and then looked at any uh, mainstream Today. mainstream yes. media headlines mm -hmm. to yes. see, is this happening? Yes. And every single thing that is happening, um, you know, was happening in the, in the book of Helaman at that time, right before Christ came, yes. is currently happening yes. in our nation today. Evil has to run its course so that the good can arise above it. And so it has, to, it has to come to its conclusion so that those doing those things will condemn themselves. Yeah. And when it gets to the point where then they threaten God's people, and then the covenants, clauses of the covenant, 
of covenant curses of the covenant will come upon those. So it has to reach the point where there's attempts to set up a king in the land, in this land, and there's going to be <clears throat> the great abominable church, all it represents, seeking the destruction of God's people. And mm -hmm. when that happens, then the whole thing turns over into a, a totally different scenario where they come under attack and the curses of God's, uh, of God's covenant upon them. come upon them. But it has to run to that point. That means that everybody has to suffer through that up to that point before they can be redeemed. So are you saying that, the, uh, that even the righteous people are going to suffer? <laughs> it's, it's fact. To some extent, yes. <clears throat> yeah. The power of God comes down upon the, the saints of the Church of the Lamb and the covenant people of the Lord at that point. And then they're not called Gentiles anymore. We're not called Gentiles. Those who become saints, true sanctified ones, are from then on called saints, not Gentiles anymore. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Book of Mormon has all this, these so many different levels of yeah. things that inform us. Well, I know we need to, we need to wrap this up, but so I, I just wanted to first off just, just to thank you for coming and, and sharing of, yeah. of, of your, your lifetime of wisdom and knowledge and, and study and, and uh, scraping and, and scrounging to get you know, get those little nuggets of truth that we that we need. You know about that, don't you? Uh, I, I, I've, I've, I've experienced that a little bit, yeah. But but basically, um, our hope is by doing these podcasts and so forth that that you will be inspired to get the Book of Mormon, the people, and get your get your nose in it yeah. and and read it and ponder it and study it and learn about it and find out about the things that are going to happen because this is the book that will tell you what's going to happen so you can prepare for your future and then also living your life so that you can have the Spirit of the Lord with you at all times is, the, is imperative and will become more and more um, critical yeah. as we move into these uh, end-time scenarios. That's another thing President Benson said, find out what your mission in life is and pay any price to do it. Well, the Book of Mormon is telling you what your mission in life is as Latter-day Saints and, you really, and President Nelson is telling you that it's a mission toward restoring the House of Uzzel. That's facing us right now. And mm -hmm. in the Book of, um, Book of Mormon and in Isaiah, that happens right at the very time when things are really bad. And mm -hmm. the worst kind of atrocities are happening. That's the time when Israel is restored, almost miraculously overnight. There we are. That's our, <laughs> that's our agenda. <laughs> that's it. That's it. All right, so we will see, we will, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, we will see you next week. We're going to be uh, covering a little bit more about uh, chapters uh, 11 through 15. We have some exciting um, uh, guests to come on, on, on board. And we'll probably have uh, uh, my friend Avraham come back again um, when we get deeper into some of the other Isaiah chapters in the next few weeks. But uh, we have, uh, coming up in the next uh, few episodes, we have uh, my friend uh, Tim Ballard with Operation Underground Railroad talking about the American Covenant. We have uh, uh, information about Lehigh's Ocean Voyage, and, uh, and and my friend Boyd Tuttle has actually been on the uh, the Phoenicia expedition, which has verified the Lehigh's Ocean Voyage, and uh, and, and just recently just had, had been finishing up the verification of the Mulekite uh, voyage in a 600 BC replica ship. Hmm. Uh, we have. Uh, Individuals who have spent uh, most uh, much of their lifetime studying the, uh, the the land bountiful area over in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and around Oman and so forth, and talking about the what the, the evidences of the Book of Mormon there. So stick with us. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be a fabulous year. The Book of Mormon is absolutely true, brothers and sisters. We we testify of that um, with our with our very souls, and uh, and and we look forward to uh, next week. 
when we get to share another episode of the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast series. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast. If you enjoyed this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button or share it with your friends. 